Hello, and welcome to Roundhouse Crosstalk, a podcast hosted by the California State Railroad Museum. I'm your host, Amanda DeFazio, and today we'll be exploring the complex relationship between the American South and the railroad after the Civil War. I'll be joined by Professor Scott Hufford, author of the article, Ten Train Songs That Tell the Story of the South. Both the railroad and the South have become symbols of the past in the American psyche. How did this association come to be? And what can Professor Hufford's collection of songs teach us about it? Let's get started. Yeah, so I'm a historian, uh, technically associate professor of history, and uh, I teach at Lisa McRae College, which is in Western North Carolina in the, the Blue Ridge Mountains, a uh, small private school. Uh, I've been here since like, 2013 now. Uh, my PhD is in the of Florida, and I focus mainly on Southern history and the history of capitalism and um kind of drifted into railroad history as the best way to touch on some of these themes and some of the history about capitalism and labor and things like that. Uh, my, my first book was kind of an outgrowth of my dissertation project. It's called Engines of Redemption, Railroads and the Reconstruction of Capitalism in the New South. Uh, and what we'll talk about the content more, I'm sure, but it basically is about uh, this, this moment after the Civil War where uh, railroads are spreading into the South, corporations are moving in, and some of the narratives that come out of that, that moment is where my first book comes from. And um, what inspired you to write your article, 10 Train Songs That Tell the Story of the South? Well, I've always loved train songs, uh, especially as I was, you know, doing research and writing. Uh, I like listening to music when uh, I write and research, kind of getting in the mood, and it just sort of helps the the words come out. I've always found so I've been working on this big playlist of train songs, mainly to have something to listen to when when I write. So I've always kind of been fascinated by by train songs. And and so many of these these train songs are are set in the South. So it was a a playlist I was making that really kind of aligned with what I was writing with my book, with my, my research. Um, the book itself uses songs and music as a source. Uh, you know, I refer to ballads and, and songs because uh, these are narratives that help you get at uh, some parts of history that are missing in the sources. Uh, so, so there's always been this kind of interest in music and train songs for me. And I wanted to write kind of a fun and accessible piece, uh, sort of right around when the book came out. The goal is to kind of promote the book a bit. Uh, uh, targeted the publication Bitter Southerner because I always love the stuff they put out about the South. And I uh, thought a, a list is a good way to spark debate. It, it kind of was. There was a lot of vigorous debate about the songs I should have put in or didn't put in on, on social media, which was kind of fun uh, as well. Uh, so it really was kind of outgrowth of my book and an attempt to kind of distill some of it into an accessible format uh, and also kind of go deeper into the train song interest that I have, which of course I still do carry forward, but. Great. And how did you pick the songs that you ended up adding to the collection? Uh, this was tough because I have this playlist I've been working on that has uh, literally hundreds of, of songs at this point and, and so many about the, the South too. Um, as I said, almost all these train songs the trains are always going to the south there's not that many train songs about you know iowa or or pennsylvania for example i've realized uh so i was trying to balance different eras of southern history i wanted to kind of 
trace from the Civil War to, to the presence. That was sort of part of the goal. Also, it was trying to, to pick a diversity of of voices speaking to the African-American experience, uh, mm-hmm. uh, experience of women, experience of, of white Southerners and sort of encapsulate all that. I also was selfishly trying to pick some of my, my favorites and just songs that I, I liked. So I was hoping to capture as much of the Southern Railroad experience as I could while also giving a shout out to different artists, different genres, uh, which was actually pretty tough uh, given it was just, you know, 10 songs. And if I made this again, it probably would be other ones I would think about including, or, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. (laughs) Definitely. There's a huge variety to select from. Uh, There are so many songs about the railroad inspired by the railroad uh, that use kind of railroad sounds. Um, in the music. And I'm kind of curious about this relationship between people feeling inspired by the railroad and also Southern identity. So what do you think the relationship is between those two? Yeah, that's something I've been sort of wrapping my head around too, not so much in the book, but sort of after it. Um, I mean, the railroads were just such a huge part of people's lived experiences in the South in the late 19th century and early 20th century. Uh, you know, the, the region was sort of slower to, to build railroads than, than the North. Um, even, you know, the West, we often associate railroads with the West because railroads kind of built up the West in many ways. Transcontinentals are so iconic. Uh, but the South goes through this really dramatic boom in railroad construction in the late 19th century and the decades after the Civil War. You know, for example, in the 1880s, the, the mileage of the network absolutely doubles. So people are, are riding trains, they're, they're building the tracks, they're, they're, they're seeing trains go by, they're, they're shipping goods on them, they're, they're working for railroad companies. Uh, it's just a huge part of what the South was in the late 19th century. Um, you know, trains now we, we sort of see as relics of the, the past and mm-hmm. uh, sort of this older kind of America, but, but they were modern, they were exciting. And they also were kind of dangerous too. And people write about both sides of that. So kind of makes sense that people would be writing songs about trains and, and, and spinning folk tales about them, things like that. Uh, you know, that the South also has been where a lot of Americans go to, to look for our sort of folk ways and, and songs. It often kind of seems like a, sort of enchanted place. I think to many Americans, it's sort of different. There's different traditions, we know folklorists like Alan Lomax loved the rural South. You know, they would go to Mississippi, Alabama. These are places where uh, the older folkways were allegedly preserved, these rural places untouched by modernization. And of course, at the same time, late 19th century, the, the North is industrializing, it's urbanizing, there's waves of immigration coming in, while the South sort of seems to be kind of stagnant. So if you're looking for you know, older narratives and songs and people turn to the South. I think that's sort of why we have all these train songs about the South. Mm -hmm. I've noticed um, doing these interviews about railroad history, and especially when it comes to um, literature or movies or music, is there is a ton of nostalgia and apparent, um, especially Americana nostalgia attached to the symbol of the railroad. And I think we can see the same kind of thing attached to the symbology of the South. Um, They're very deep intertwined. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, 
you know, there's a thread throughout popular American music of you know, seeing the South in that lens. You know, in the early 20th century, there were all these songwriters writing about, I wish I could go back to Dixie or, you know, mm-hmm. I wish I can go down South because uh, the South was sort of seen as this relaxing place where you could escape the hustle and bustle of the, the city and, and everything's just simpler in the South. And that's a, mm-hmm. it's a myth, of course. And mm-hmm. A lot of these songs actually were kind of building off of sort of pernicious old South stereotypes about how nice the plantations were and these moonlight and magnolia romances. So it's sort of a mythic idea, but one that sort of runs throughout our our culture that you know to go south is to to go home or to to just relax and and slow the pace of what you're doing down. Um, just as now we we sort of see the railroads in kind of a similar light as these older relics, out of place, out of time, uh, just like the South kind of exists in that same way in, in American history. And that's sort of the argument I was kind of building towards in this, this piece, if there is a little argument to it. In partnership with the First Partners Office and the Natural Resources Agency, the California State Park Adventure Pass provides free entry for fourth graders and their families at 19 amazing state parks throughout California, including the California State Railroad Museum. Passes are valid until August of 2022. To sign up, visit reservecalifornia.com. You can find out more about the Adventure Pass at parks.ca.gov slash adventurepass. The first song Professor Hufford and I spoke about was The Day They Drove Old Dixie Down, performed by the band, which brings us right to the end of the Civil War. Yeah, it's about, uh, well, the song starts with Virgil Kane, uh, this guy who serves on the Danville train. Uh, the, the tracks are being torn up by by Stoneman, or some, some versions of Stonewall, uh, mm-hmm. historically accurate is, is Stoneman, General Stoneman was the guy who did these raids in 1865. Uh, and it's about just going home to this pretty, you know, defeated society. This guy goes home and staggers home and there's this kind of sadness about the end of the, the war. Uh, and I always found it sort of a very haunting kind of kind of song and one that I thought would would kick the, this off. Uh, and the railroad really is what kind of kind of kicks this all off. The, mm-hmm. the guy working on the train, the, the railroads that destroyed all these things. So at one point he's he's missing Robert E. Lee and and thinks he he sees him. So so it captures this mindset of the defeated white white South in a pretty, I think, compelling way. Virgil Kane is a name and I served on We were hungry, just barely alive By May the 10th, Richmond had fell It's a time I remember oh so well Tonight they drove old Dixie down And the bells were ringing Tonight they drove old It's a song that I always have liked a lot, I and mean, I've always loved the, the Civil War. And the song really 
puts you in in that moment ironically it's written by a canadian but it it sort of puts you in that moment of the white southerners who are going through this collapse their society uh the confederacy is is failing and you know of course civil war was was actually fought a lot of it over railroad infrastructure the the union armies were were they once they figured this out started targeting the railroad junctions targeting railroad towns a place like atlanta of course was was burned to the, the ground largely because it was a railroad junction uh, and the song is about a guy who serves on the, the danville train which you know links raleigh to to danville and the rest of the south a very key line in terms of how the war progresses. Uh, and you really can't talk about this the South the Civil War. This is really um, you know, an endpoint and a starting point in so many ways. And for the story, the, the Southern Railroad, it kind of is, I, I say, sort of a starting point because this is when we start to see this, this big boom, this idea that the railroads can rebuild the South and save the South after the war. This emerges in this, this moment. And uh, this song definitely has a strong kind of um lost cause energy to it. Uh, but I've also read an interpretation that it's also about uh, losing everything, fighting the rich man's war. What do you think of that interpretation? Yeah, uh, it is. I mean, it's something you have to be a little careful about because there is this, yeah, there's definitely a lost cause idea of Valerie, Robert E. Lee. But, but I tend to agree with that interpretation that it really is more about uh, you know, just a working class average white man who kind of gets gets screwed by 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 the war i mean when i teach civil war i often try to teach it in this lens that in many of these white southerners in the confederacy were, were, were there because they were drafted or or forced to fight or, or just wanted a job and uh, you know it's a war that's being fought largely for the, the benefit of the the rich planners and i think this does kind of humanize that the poor white southern farmer in a way which i and and does sort of hint at this idea of the civil war as as maybe this sort of class conflict within the south which again that's how i largely sort of teach the the war now because i think that's something at least my students always can kind of latch onto pretty well The second song, The Wreck of the Old 97, reflects the real danger that rail travel presented in the late 19th century South. Yeah, that, it's uh, typically about a wreck in, in Danville, Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, and it's based on a real train wreck. Uh, there's a whole series of, of train wreck ballads that, that come out uh, in the late 19th century when a lot of these wrecks happen. This was 1903, this one, uh, you know, Casey Jones, his wreck is in 1900. Uh, there's in the 1890s, a whole bunch of train wrecks end up going into to ballads. The song itself sort of focuses on this train going way too fast, uh, 90 miles an hour around this really tight grade, uh, again, in Danville, Virginia. It's, I think, heading between you know Washington, D.C. and Atlanta is sort of how this, this route would go. Uh, guy's being warned to go, he's going too fast, he's on a tight schedule. Um, flies around the this this curve and, and wrecks the train and then it becomes a, a ballad. They give him his orders at Monroe, Virginia, saying, Pete, you're way behind time. This is not 38, but it's old 97. You must put her in center on time. 
looks round, says to his black greasy fireman, just shove on in a little more coal. And when we cross that white old mountain, you can watch old night seven roll. And you know, the historical context here is that the South had really dangerous railroads. Uh, you know, I crunched the numbers in, in my book, and by the 1890s, the South has the most dangerous railroads in the country in terms of injuries, deaths with, with passengers per, per capita. You know, the railroads were cheaply made, they were hastily constructed. A lot of the companies that were constructing the stuff were, were pretty flimsy. They were going bankrupt, not really maintaining their tracks. Uh, you also have companies pushing engineers to go faster and faster. Uh, the seven was a fast mail train. It was uh, one of the fastest trains in the South. So there's a sort of glamour with it, too. Um, so, so there's all these train wrecks going on and, and, and people write songs about them. They make for, for pretty good stories. Uh, and a lot of these come from the, the ground up, uh, like this one. Uh, a lot of these end up becoming sort of popular music hits. This song by the 1920s, number one hit at one point, you know, Casey Jones was the most popular song in America in the 1910s. And there's also a hint of um, a valiant engineer uh, note to it as well, because there's a line of um, the engineer being found with his hand still on the throttle, even had he had been burned. There's kind of this honorable image that reminds me of the idea of a captain going down with his ship. Yeah, exactly. These songs really uh, often they're, they're sort of elegies for the, the engineers. Uh, and it sort of redeems these guys uh, in, in death. Though many of them make kind of mistakes. They're going way too fast and I mean, missing signals, things like that. So there is this sort of redemption of the engineer character. Uh, interesting gender dynamics in these these two. The, the song kind of ends with a, a warning uh, to, to the wife. Uh, just to, to really love your husband, which is sort of out of left field. I always think yeah. I play this song. You know, why are we admonishing the wife uh, at the end of this? Uh, um, she at least gets a mention, but sort of make sure you love your husband. Okay. <laughs> so that, that's sort of an odd uh, left turn, I think, towards the end of this one. Yeah, I don't think I would expect that's where the song would end. <laughs> Maybe something more like, be careful, uh, don't drive your train too fast. Don't push your employees too much. But nope, it's make sure. Yeah, you I mean, that's 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 kind of the implicit kind of warning here. But but they, they really end on that note. Uh, you know, the Casey Jones song does kind of the, the same thing. That the, mm-hmm. the one version ends by talking about how his wife has other uh, his children have other daddies and other lines, implying that the wife is uh, you know in infidelity basically. So again, out of left field, we, we sort of slam the the wife here at the end. But uh, <laughs> yeah, they're sort of odd, odd songs, and they're all kind of jaunty too. And mm-hmm. uh, I'll play this song for for students. I'm like, why is this song so happy? And it's like <laughs> it's kind of odd. I mean, it's sort of upbeat, and you'd think it'd be more morose, but it really isn't. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. It's weird that there's a, it's not just a one-off. There's like a whole genre of songs like this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all quite morbid. Again, most of these songs, train wrecks are set in, in the South. There's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Casey Jones wreck is in Mississippi. There's uh wreck on the CNO and in West Virginia. That's, that's gone into the song. There's a few from outside the region, but again, the South is where a lot of these are coming from, which I think is, 
connected to this idea of just the South having really dangerous railroads. People experience train wrecks more in the region. Third was the day John Henry died, a symbol of labor and civil rights during the era of Jim Crow. Uh, so, so John Henry is probably the most iconic sort of Southern folk hero. Uh, and he's been reimagined, reinterpreted probably hundreds, even thousands uh, of times. But the story of John Henry, you know, he's this Black convict laborer who dies of silicosis, we think. A historian, uh, you know, Scott Nelson, uh, his book on John Henry kind of definitively, I think, sort of pins this down. He thinks he finds the real John Henry, who was a convict laborer who had some minor crime, ends up being sent to drill a tunnel on the CNO Railroad in West Virginia. Uh, and you know, they're kicking up all this dust. He dies, uh, you know, building this, buried in the mass grave, I believe. So it's a really bleak actual story but you know, the, the songs about john henry kind of give him new life i watch the rain it settled in disappear for days again most of us were staying in lazy like the sky letters flew across the wire filtered through There's this, you know, boasting about his his strength and his skill and how good of a worker he is. And, you know, in the the, the folk story, he ends up racing, you know, the, the machine. Uh, usually in most versions, he beats the machine and ends up dying in the end. Uh, so there's this sort of myth. There's this real story we think we have. Uh, the song is sort of my favorite reinterpretation. Uh, it's one I really like a lot because it captures really the tragedy of this this story. It's the guy getting screwed over by by big corporations. Uh, you know, it really targets the corporations. This this song and the railroad barons, which I think kind of gets at really the spirit of the the song. Uh, you know, the drive by truckers are who who put out this song, and they've always been one of my favorite bands to really understand the South and Southern history. And I think they do a really nice job with start reinterpreting John Henry for maybe modern audiences, I guess. And what can the song tell us about the experience of uh, Black Americans after the Civil War? We think about after the Civil War, it wasn't a great experience, obviously. A lot of folks are trying to get back on their feet. We have this convict labor system, which was pretty horrific for you know minor crimes even things like vagrancy, which is basically just you're you're sitting around, don't have a job. You can be arrested uh, and thrown into prison. The prisons were then selling the laborers to largely corporations, you know, railroad corporations, coal mines, things like that are are purchasing convicts from from prisons. Uh, pretty horrific treatment. There's not really incentive to keep the convicts healthy or uh, they're doing things like, you know, building railroads through mountains, things like that. And, you know, the songs like this kind of give us insight. Okay, we, we know about the swing the hammer. We humanize this guy. 
the song also is one that kind of spread through the network of railroad work camps and things like that and and moved through the railroad network as well so it helps us kind of recover this this experience in, in a pretty effective way i think and and what do you think the significance is of the folk tale of him um besting the machine at his work and there's a sort of boasting there is also this sort of triumph for African Americans that we have mm-hmm. this figure that can beat the machine and again we have this context of of Jim Crow and segregation and, and racial violence and oppression and, and here's a figure that African Americans can can celebrate this strong guy who builds the railroad uh, and that's a pretty kind of big story even just reminding us about the human uh, cost of this is also something that comes comes through and the, the man versus machine thing we see this a lot in sort of american folklore this sort of tension of of man labor versus machine labor and uh it's sort of a critique of industrialization i'd probably argue that we're going this direction where machines are doing more of the work and it's kind of replacing this older style of labor so i think it speaks to that as well The next song continues the trend of folkloric figures. This is Railroad Bill, an ode to the Robin Hood of the Jim Crow South. Uh, Railroad Bill is someone I wrote about uh, a bit in in my my first book. Uh, I was sort of drawn to this this really interesting story of this train robber. He's an African-American train robber uh, operating in the 1890s in uh, sort of southeast Alabama, northwest Florida, kind of this sort of at the time, pretty swampy, remote area between Mobile and Pensacola. And he essentially is able to to master the movement of trains in the area and start robbing them. So he would hop on the trains. He knew when certain ones would go to certain places, uh, sort of predictable schedule. He starts robbing the trains. Uh, Some of the folk stories talk about him redistributing the ill-gotten gains along the line as kind of like a Robin Hood sort of figure um, to other African-Americans, basically. He ends up uh, you know, getting involved in a shootout with, with law enforcement. He kills the sheriff of Bruton, Alabama at one point. So there's this very vigorous manhunt for the, this guy, uh, which ends up ensnaring all kinds of innocent African-Americans, too. It's kind of a horrific outburst of, of racial violence that... that happens when they they go after this guy but and eventually they they do capture him he's shot he's killed railroad bill railroad bill you never worked and you never will ride 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 railroad bill he's a mighty mean man shot that lantern right out of that brakeman's hand Ride, ride, ride. But, but sort of like John Henry, he becomes this sort of uh, empowering figure for African-Americans who can celebrate that, hey, this guy stood up to, to the railroads. He, he was a Robin Hood. Uh, you know, people would add their own verses and it goes through all these sort of different variations and different things that he's he's doing. Uh, you know, people always sort of love train robbers. You know, Jesse James is the other kind of main example of a train robber that Americans sort of love. And, you know, the love of train robbers, I think, kind of comes out of the idea that we can 
see these guys as fighting back against these corporations. Mm-hmm. People are getting screwed by the railroad. Uh, black Southerners are, you know, white people are, you know, as well, the people like Jesse James. And, you know, how do we fight back? We can at least cheer for the train robbers who are, you know, doing things that maybe we wish we could could do. So uh, that's sort of where I think a lot of the, the railroad bill uh stories are coming out of this you know the context of jim crow but also this bigger context of hey this guy's actually you know standing up to the railroad companies which are kind of screwing us over by this point in history mm-hmm. and was railroad bill a real person or is he an amalgamation of a bunch of different myths we're pretty sure he is is real uh, uh people think i think morris slater was his original name hmm. uh you know, it takes on a life of its own, and there's this hunt for him where they think everyone's railroad bill, and all these people are being arrested who they think are railroad bill, but who aren't. Uh, and there's these sort of odd supernatural elements to the, the story too. People mm-hmm. thought he was impervious to, to bullets. They thought he could could shapeshift. There's even a newspaper article about him shapeshifting into a like a fox and and vanishing into the woods. So it takes on this sort of weird supernatural quality, and. There was a real guy robbing these these trains, and the argument I make about him in, in my book is that you know the supernatural stuff just comes out of him using the railroad network. He's able to, you know, adapt and slip away on the trains. It's not really because he's using magic, but he's able to sort of master how the railroad network work, is working and take advantage of it, mm-hmm. using it against itself. Yeah, exactly. Our next song brings us into the early 20th century, when trains were no longer a symbol of danger and progress, but instead a simple fact of life. Freight Train by Elizabeth Cotton uses the train as a metaphor for the winding roads of her own life. Yeah, by the the 20th century, we do start to to see these meanings shift, you know, I mean, the historical context you know we start to see people driving cars obviously and mm-hmm. and by the 1920s and 30s there's roads snaking through the south and of course after world war ii we really see passenger rail go into pretty huge de- decline uh, a dramatic sort of crash and everyone's sort of riding cars and driving cars and of course more songs are about cars and things like that then so so we get this kind of flip and freight train sort of captures that uh, it's about this experience of just watching trains Except by the 1890s, not every 10 Southerner lives in a county that has a railroad in it. So people are seeing trains all the time. And uh, Elizabeth Cotton, who writes this song, lived in Carver, North Carolina, which is sort of outside Chapel Hill. Uh, at the time, it was a pretty industrial kind of town. It was uh, you know, a mill town, there's textile mills, of course, mm-hmm. lots of, of passing trains. Uh, you know, the, the rail line's still there, but trains pretty rarely go through there now, I think. And you know, it's a, she sees the trains passing by, writes the song, uh, simple, catchy. Uh, it's, it's a common experience of seeing a train's dramatic moment when a train goes by and mm-hmm. uh, you know, sort of relaxes. The contrast, of course, is relaxing on the porch while this fast train goes thundering by. 
every time I hear a train, I always, you know, perk up and take notice. And, and yeah. it's just this dramatic moment. And, and the song kind of just gives you that. This puts you in that idea that you're seeing a train go by, you're thinking about it. And, you know, it's quite a good one. She writes something like, when I die, bury me next to the track so I can keep watching them pass by. And again, that, that's, again, the experience of much of people in, in the South. There's mm-hmm. a lot of railroad towns and not just the South, the nation at large. And, uh, you know, and it takes on again, this kind of more nostalgic kind of romantic idea, especially once trains start to, to fade. But people love watching trains, obviously. And mm-hmm. you know, the song captures that. Definitely. Yeah. By the 1950s, the railroad was a symbol of American luxury and success. This next song by Hank Snow follows the Golden Rocket on its journey to the South. Uh, this one, uh, I, I see it shows it because uh, for me, it kind of gets you in the sort of excitement of rail travel, which, again, we don't have that too much anymore. I mean, no one really thinks about Amtrak as sort of the, the peak mm-hmm. of excitement. I mean, I, I kind of like it, but I mean, a lot of people uh, would, would rather, of course, fly a plane or, or a drive or things like that. But in the mid 20th century, that there was this sort of attempt to, to really make railroad travel glamorous and fast. We have the companies putting in these fast streamliner trains, which really look kind of cool and, and really sort of try to capture people's imaginations. And the song, to me, kind of kind of gets that moment of you're rambling around the South, you're taking the fast trains, this is giving you all kinds of geographical kind of locations he's going to. Um, it's a very up-tempo kind of song, too, which conveys this excitement. Uh, and at least to me, it puts me in that kind of mindset of... Mm-hmm. So when railroad travel was really the thing to do, it allows you mobility, all these sort of exciting things. From old Montana down to Alabama, I've been before and I'll travel again. You try for the women, can't keep a good man down. You doubt the cars, but you missed a play. Now hit the road and be on your way. I'm going to pull the golden rock and then leave this town. I was a good engine running on time, but baby, I'm switching to another line. So, honey, never hang your signal out for me. I'm tired of running on the same old track. I bought a one-way ticket and I won't be back. This golden rock, it's going to roll my blues away. Now I think the song, of course, reads very nostalgic because, you know, <laughs> we, we can't even take the train to these places in the song anymore, I think. So, uh, but, but yeah, it's really about the excitement of travel, I would say. Mm-hmm. The excitement and the luxury. Yeah. The golden age of rail. And what, what year would you say that this uh, song kind of exemplifies, exemplifies or what range? <sighs> For me, it's sort of the 30s, 40s, 50s. You know, it's sort of the sort of twilight, I guess we would say, of, of mm-hmm. a, a fancy rail travel. The streamliners are kind of the 30s. I think a lot of them are sort of coming in. Uh, and I think he's sort of writing the song as this era is sort of drawing to a close, really. And, and as we're starting to see, of course, the, the, the cars come in and things like that. So it's at that kind of transition point. By the 1970s, the railroad had firmly become a nostalgic symbol of the past. The City of New Orleans by Steve Goodman asks us to remember the golden age of rail. 
the song this comes out in the 1970s and some interpretations I've read, which I think I kind of agree with, are just looking at this as a really dark time in U.S. history. You know, it's the mm-hmm. early 1970s. Uh, you know, it's very divisive. We're, we're mired in Vietnam. We're sort of coming out of the 60s are kind of unraveling into to tumult. So we have this, you know, kind of divided country, lots of sort of bad feelings. And the song is this sort of uplifting narrative about american unity i would say it's about you know good morning uh, america and you know it's about traveling between the north and the, the south riding on the city of new orleans illinois central monday morning rail there are 15 cars and 15 restless riders Three conductors and 25 sacks of mail. They're all out on the southbound Odyssey and the train pulls out of Kankakee. Rolls past the houses, farms and fields. Passing towns that have no name and freight yards full of old black men and the graveyards of rusted automobiles. Singing good morning America, how are you? Saying, don't you know me, I'm your native son. Yes, I'm the train they call the city of New Orleans. And I'll be gone 500 miles when day is done. It's set on City of New Orleans, which is, you know, it's a one of these iconic passenger rail trains. Uh, it links Chicago and New Orleans. This would have been the Illinois Central Railroad back, back then. Uh, and you know this historically this this railroad played a role of unity i read about this in, in my book how uh in the 1870s and 80s they touted this line as one that can unite the south and north we have this line that links chicago and new orleans we can mm-hmm. use this to, to kind of bind the country together and the song really gives us that same kind of idea where where we're seeing you know the pullman porters we're seeing scenes outside uh it really gives you this sort of romanticized trip that that unites the country i think don't you know me i'm your native son and i'm the train they call the city of new orleans i'll be gone 500 miles a day is done by the 1980s the industrial symbol of the railroad had faded into the landscape This R.E.M. song, Driver 8, conjures up the image of the decrepit railroad as a pathway into the mythological land that is the American South. Uh, Mainly, probably my favorite train song. It's one that I was like a lot. I've always liked uh, R.E.M. quite a bit. Uh, And they become, of course, this super popular band that everyone knows about. But in the 80s, they really were sort of a Southern band. They came out of Athens, Georgia. They kind of leaned into Southern folklore and Southern legends in their early albums, the ones that I like uh, a lot. Uh, this one's off of Fables of Reconstruction, which is you know, even referencing Reconstruction in the album title. And album and, and song I've always really loved because it's kind of dark, it's sort of murky, it's sort of giving you this kind of idea of, of the past coming up here. Doctor says, take a 
it also, I think, really captures the ambiguous relationship between the South and the railroad. It's, it's again, not really an uplifting song. It's, it's sort of dark. It's in a minor key. Uh, there's this warnings about speed and engineers going too fast, which that's a, an echo of, of course, these earlier train wreck songs. Uh, there's really great rural, almost kind of Southern Gothic imagery in the song. There's a preacher selling faith on the Gotel Crusade. You know, we see fields, things like that. Uh, they're also referencing the Southern Crescent, which was the Southern Railway's sort of iconic route through the South, which again, at this point, by the 80s, uh, you know, it's probably pretty much a faded remnant of the old glory days. But uh, it's one that I just love because it has this kind of dark, sort of gothic feel to it, which kind of messes with how I see the railroad in the South as not always being a great thing, as being sort of inspiring these darker narratives. Our final and most modern song, Down Along the Dixie Line from 2011, shows us the modern image of both the South and the railroad. By now, they both represent the same thing, the idealized past and the world that once was. We sort of talked about this earlier, this idea of the South as a land behind the time or stuck in the past or stagnant or slowed down. And this song kind of touches into to that kind of cultural idea of, you know, can you go to the South to relax, to, to slow down? And the song pairs these really idyllic rural scenes with this train chugging by in, in the distance. kind of the, the fast train kind of accentuates the sort of rural slow down kind of scenes um you know it's about missing the the south really the, the song and you know it's sort of about maybe probably a southerner who's out of the region missing the relaxation uh, but i think it also does speak to some deeper nostalgia about railroads too about the the fireball train that they talk about so uh, for me this song really gets at this idea of again the south and railroads both kind of being dumped into the realm of nostalgia um, by the time this comes out, which is, you know, 21st century, this one. Uh, you can definitely see the, the changes in what the railroad means to these people as we look through these songs. On uh, the earlier songs, the railroad means modernity. It means danger. It means exploitation. Um, and then gradually it transitions to basically blending in with the natural landscape. It's considered um, antiquated and comforting even. Yeah, no, the down with the sea line, really, that's a, an excellent point, too, that, you know, that it is almost in the landscape. It, it's meshing with it. It's it's part of the scenery. It's not something you're 
really take notice to. It's just there. You know, it blends in. And uh, even the railroads first show up, they didn't really blend in. They were they were dramatic. Uh, you know, the idea of the machine in the garden is one that pops up in American literature. A lot of the train disrupting the American pastoral ideal. Uh, but yeah, at this point, it kind of just blends in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't even think of it as ugly or industrial. It's just there. Yeah. I mean, the, the South really is this region of America, which is uh, very much kind of weighted with with history and uh there's some nostalgia for the history there also is this kind of pain and mm-hmm. and some of the history that people have not really always reckoned with and there's all these sort of myths that cover up certain parts uh, of southern history and that, that to me sort of what kind of drew me to, to studying uh the region in a bigger sense tracks now i can go back The California State Railroad Museum is now the proud home of a new exhibit by the National Model Railway Association. Next time you're in the museum, make sure to swing by our state-of-the-art exhibit up on the third floor, where you'll see beautifully designed model railroads and a look behind the scenes of the hard work that goes into model railroading. You can also see an exhibit reveal up on our YouTube page. Uh, are there any songs that you personally wish you had included or that you wish you didn't include? I think it's a pretty comprehensive list. I mean, you know, I'm working on a book about Casey Jones, so I'd maybe want to put him in there as, uh, but I do only have a train wreck, wreck song. What is the most important thing that you hope our listeners get from this or anything else that you would uh, like to let us know? Well, I mean, a couple of things I think are sort of the big kind of thematic points to, to end on. I mean, the importance of music as a historical source is one I think that's always sort of interesting. And for railroad history in particular, there's so many songs uh, about trains and and we can see these as just sort of fun diversions to listen to, but but these are telling us a lot about railroad history uh, and, and they're getting beyond just, you know, corporate records or, mm-hmm. you know, what the boosters are saying. I mean, we're getting at the experience of, of, you know, African-American women or, mm-hmm. or workers who are on these, these, these trains, you know, these are, these are songs that we should probably pay attention to a lot of these as people studying the, the railroad. Um, you know, so that's sorry, one concluding thought. I mean, Southern railroad history too, I'd like to make a case for how interesting the South is in terms of railroad history. Uh, you know, a lot of, the attention is on you know, the Western railroads or transcontinental routes, or I'll be focus on the robber barons too, but, but the South has this really interesting encounter with the railroad. It's, it's kind of later than the rest of, of the nation in many ways. It's sort of delayed. It's, it's kind of troubled too, because we have all these dangers and wrecks and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that the railroad has this kind of ambiguous, uh, kind of image in, in, in the South, it's not always good. I mean, the people at the top were saying the railroads were, were good, but, you know, railroads uh, have these kind of darker meanings. Where I live in 
southern mountains especially there's this kind of darkening in in appalachia the railroads come in and and that's when the coal mines come or the trees are cut down or things Mm -hmm. like that so uh so there is this sort of interesting way that the south really complicates railroad history uh of course we think about about race too as a, a huge theme in this this as well how you know southern railroads are where segregation was largely planned and implemented on southern railroads and the plessy ferguson case was about uh the railroad so so that's probably my, my my maybe concluding thought just thinking about the importance of the south in railroad history and what this tells us about the railroad and about capitalism more more broadly Well, thank you so much um, for joining us on the pod today. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Always love the chance to talk about train songs and had a good time. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Roundhouse Crosstalk, a podcast hosted by the California State Railroad Museum. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Goodbye, everyone.